Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome back to the Combat Bets podcast on the Believe Network. Now, before I get into any boxing and MMA topics, I wanted to pay my respects, my condolences to all those who lost their life on that fateful Sunday in that terrible helicopter crash. It hit me very hard. I lost my favorite childhood athlete, my inspiration, and I would like to pay my respects to him to the great Laker legend Kobe Bryant in one of the few ways that I know how, with my words. So, I'd like to read this in honor of Kobe and all those who lost their lives. Kobe, Laker legend. Kobe is all of us. Kobe forever. Kobe never dies. Kobe lives on in our memories, in all the fadeaways, the mid-range jumpers, at the free throw line, during those clutch moments in a basketball game, the greatest Laker, the most lethal scorer, peerless and bigger than basketball. Kobe is LA. Kobe is global. Kobe transcends sports. Kobe is Nike. Kobe is in our hearts and always will be. Unafraid to fail, took advantage of every minute of life. A talented storyteller and crafter of his own story. The ability to connect with everyone. Kobe is beloved. Kobe represents excellence, success, hard work, giving your all to a certain purpose, an undying will to win. A supreme athlete combined with a supreme work ethic and mental makeup made Kobe a basketball genius and a talented human beyond the court. Giving back to the next generation, supporting women's basketball, Kobe loved being a father. My heart goes out to all those who lost their lives that fateful Sunday in the sky. They will sorely be missed. I grew up watching Kobe grow up and win five championships for the Lakers and carry sub par teams single-handedly with his Mamba mentality. My favorite all-time athlete, I feel like a part of me is gone without Kobe out there living life to the fullest. Kobe forever, Mamba forever, number eight, number 24. Thank you. I would like to start this week's MMA topics uh, recapping Bellator 238. Uh, Bud versus Cyborg. In the main event, we saw Chris Cyborg take on Julia Bud. And give credit to Bud. She really uh, fought well. She lasted till the fourth round before eventually Cyborg knocked her out with an accumulation of punches as the pressure was just too much for Bud to overcome. And uh, eventually she did get stopped. Bud give credit. She put up a great fight. And Cyborg showed that she still has a lot of fight in her, even at this advanced age. And it's possible that Cyborg could also step into the boxing ring. And uh, in the spirit of this, I'd like to talk about 
Clarissa Shields as well. Uh, the current uh, boxing champion, I believe, in two or three weight divisions. If you haven't seen Shields fight, she is really quite fierce in there, quite the boxer, and has stated that she would like to uh, get into the octagon and possibly fight in the UFC, and has said that she has begun training with the great John Jones. So maybe we see Shields in the octagon further promoting women in combat sports. But getting back to Cyborg, she showed she still has a lot of fight in her, a very dangerous fighter. And I think the move to Bellator, while not uh, popular amongst UFC fans, will help out in her career as um, I think she can be just about anyone on the Bellator roster. And Cyborg is a huge signing uh, for the promotion. And um, more main events with uh, Cyborg should be in the future because she put on an exciting fight uh, full on with great stamina ability to push the pace in each round and bud give her credit for fighting back um giving cyborg you know some good back and forth moments ultimately though cyborg is one of the scariest athletes we have ever seen in women's mma and she proved that once again um at um, bellator 238 in the main event if you haven't caught that fight you should check it out because uh, Cyborg returned to form and showed why she is scary for any opponent. Um, moving on, I'd like to uh, recap uh, UFC fight night between uh, Junior Dos Santos and Curtis Blades. In the co-main event, we had Rafael Dos Anjos, the former uh, UFC lightweight champion, uh, taking on Michael... Chiesa and uh, Chiesa won this fight by unanimous decision after three rounds now uh, the, why Dos Anjos lost this fight is because he was not the active fighter um, he wasn't as active as uh, Chiesa and Chiesa was able to impose his will on Dos Anjos and just show why he is a, a very active wrestler and, and had the ability to take Dos Anjos down and when he put Dos Anjos down he was able to get up in the early rounds, but in that third round, it was not good because that was the swing round, and Chiesa clearly won with his takedown and the ability to keep Dos Anjos on the mat for the duration of the third round. Um, for Dos Anjos, he's got to look at the drawing board. He's got to uh, see what he can do better, what he can improve on, and uh, not lose to opponents of Chiesa's level who are really not uh, championship-level opponents, which is, of course, where uh, Dos Anjos wants to get back to, as Dos Anjos has one of the most impressive uh, resumes in all of MMA, and this is a very disappointing loss for him, but he will move on and hopefully be back stronger. For Chiesa, it's a great win for him in the division over a high-level guy in Dos Anjos, and, um, you know, Chiesa deserves, uh, you know, other fights with a similar level of competition to Dos Anjos, and see if his wrestling and active, um, you know, fight game that he employs in the octagon will be good enough uh, the next time he fights. So it was a good upset win for Chiesa, and Dos Anjos lost as the favorite. Moving on to the main event, we saw a heavyweight matchup between Curtis Blades and Junior Dos, An Junior Dos Santos, and as I suspected in the pre-fight analysis, I thought that the speed of Blades would be too much 
for Dos Santos to overcome, and that ended up being true as uh, Blades looked like the faster fighter in there and was able to get the finish with a second-round knockout as uh, Dos Santos just looked like he's just a little older, a little over the hill in terms of his prime, and uh, he's got to see what opponents he can fight next. And for Blades, he's right back in there with the top of the heavyweights. While Francis Ngannou and uh, Chazir Rosenstrike, that fight is coming up. I see that as um, you know a big fight in the heavyweight division. And also with Stipe Miocic still recovering from an eye injury and with no real timetable to return, the heavyweight division is kind of up in the air. And if Blades can follow up this win, this knockout win against Dos Santos with another big win in his next fight, he'll really set himself up nicely for perhaps a title shot against Miocic uh, when he does return. Curtis Blades really impressed me in this fight. He really took it to Dos Santos. Did not pay him too much respect, despite his stellar resume. And um, if you haven't seen that knockout, make sure to check it out. Because uh, Blades really showed why he is a heavyweight that, uh, you know, definitely is a force to be reckoned with. Let me move on to boxing. I'd like to start with uh, this past Thursday's fight card on January 30th. And in the main event, we saw Demetrius Andrade take on Luke Keeler. And uh, Keeler uh, really fought well, as the commentators were saying. He has fast hands, but maybe not necessarily fast feet. And that proved to be the deciding factor. Uh, as Andre get, did get the knockout win in the ninth round. And while Luke Keeler is not the most high-level opponent for a fighter like Demetrius Andrade to take on, he still was very impressive in his win and did, up, did end up getting the stoppage in the ninth round uh, TKO for Andrade, who is a fighter that is not always known for getting the stoppage and often wins by decision. Andrade really impressed me in this fight. He disrespected Keeler so much that he fought him with his hands down, um, just, you know, bobbing and weaving, not really getting hit, and Keeler was just flummoxed by this. While Keeler did have his moments, um, once Andrade got his timing down, it was clear this really was quite the mismatch. And Andrade likes to land kind of unorthodox a style of punches where they're looping, coming from unorthodox angles that the opponents don't always see. And this proved to once again be true against Keeler, as he would hit him, um, you know, with an unorthodox uppercut or um, a hook that Keeler won't expect. And ultimately, um, he couldn't take the pressure and the unorthodox style that Andrade would employ. And he did get the stoppage, as I said, in the ninth round. And in the post-fight interview, Andrade called out one fighter in particular, Billy Joe Saunders. Andrade and Billy Joe Saunders actually have quite similar styles when you look at it. They both have awkward styles, both very difficult to hit. 
both have the ability to fight with our hands down and bob and bob and weave out of their opponent's punches. So, if Andrade and Billy Joe Saunders do end up fighting against each other in the ring, it would really be great for both their careers. Although the style matchup, I don't know if it lends itself to the most exciting fight because, as I said, they're both unorthodox and awkward fighters. And when those two enter the ring, it can sometimes be a chess match where they kind of spend the whole fight looking at each other instead of really letting their hands go. Both boxers are supremely talented, and if Billy Joe Saunders and Demetrius Andrade get opponents like Gennady Golovkin or Canelo Alvarez, it would really do a lot for their stardom just to be in a fight of that magnitude. Now moving on from the main event on that fight card, um, the co-main event was quite odd as it saw a YouTube star, um, I believe Jake Paul, if, if it wasn't Logan Paul against someone else, I'm not really sure of, in the co-main event, let me make that clear, right before Andrade and Keeler fought, you had a co-main event between two non-fighters that were just getting in there. And, you know, if this is going to help bring more fans to the sport of boxing, then I guess I'm all for it. But Dazan is quite interesting in that they did put this on their platform and decide to make that the co-main event. And if you didn't watch the fight, uh, Paul did get a first-round knockout against an overmatched opponent who really had no business being in the ring. But moving on from that fake non-fight, I don't really know what you want to call it, an exhibition match to uh, get more butts in the seat maybe? Sure. And then moving on, we saw some upsets actually when Tevin Farner Tevin Farmer fought Joe Joe Diaz in the third fight uh, preceding the uh, Paul the Paul fight the YouTube fight. And Tevin Farn- Farmer said in the post-fight interview after the loss that he messed up his hand in the second round and couldn't really throw the jab like he wanted to for the rest of the fight. But take nothing away from what Jojo Diaz did in an impressive performance. And I don't know if you guys saw, but post-fight, he did have on a Kobe number 8 jersey, paying respect to the great Laker legend. And during the fight, you could see that Jojo Diaz just wanted it more. He fought with more heart, with more tenacity, with more fluidity, with more activity than Tevin Farner did. Farmer. And if Farmer did break his hand or injure it in some way, then perhaps that diminished his ability in some capacity. And uh, I believe a rematch class is uh, in effect. So I believe Tevin Farmer will fight for his titles once again against Jojo Diaz. And in a, a healthy uh, Farmer uh, should have the speed advantage against Jojo Diaz. But what's clear from their first fight is that Diaz clearly has a size advantage. He clearly looked like the stronger man, like the more active man like the bigger man in the ring didn't look as small and Farmer uh, to be fair did not fight that well on the inside was not able to adjust to the ring activity of Jojo Diaz and as a result lost his titles and lost uh, you know an upset fight and uh, 
Also, what's even more press impressive about this win by Jojo Diaz is that he sustained a nasty cut uh, over his eye in the early rounds. And despite that, the cut man did a great job of, you know, not letting it leak too much. And despite the big cut, he still came away with a decision win over a great fighter in Farmer. And uh, expect Farmer to be back and be strong. But tonight, or that night, was a great night for Jojo Diaz. I just want to pay him my respects. And uh, you look out for Diaz in the coming fights. And if he does beat Farmer again, you know, he could really be a force to be reckoned with. Unfortunately, Farmer hurt his hand in the early rounds and uh, lost the decision, but it was still a great fight, and I encourage you uh, to check out that Dizan card replay if you guys didn't get a chance to see it. Moving on, uh, I'd like to recap this past Saturday's fight card between Yorendis Ugas and Mike Dallas Jr., Ugas uh, really impressed me while he didn't fight the most high-level opponent in Mike Dallas Jr. He still really showed some great boxing skills inside the ring. He's a, uh, the Cuban fighter Yurandis Ugas did just fight this past Saturday, the Saturday before the Super Bowl, and um, he impressed me because he could really move in and out of range uh, really wasn't getting hit very much. He just has the ability to be very slippery inside the ring and make his opponent very frustrated. And when you look at the punch stats post-fight, while uh, Ugas wasn't throwing that many more punches than, in, than his opponent, Mike Dallas Jr., he was landing at a significantly higher percentage. And that accurate punching... And while not being overactive in the ring, it's really what make, makes Yuga such an exciting fighter. And I look forward to watching him in future fights. And if you did not get a chance to watch it, uh, Yurendis Ugas did in the fight uh, after the seventh round, after uh, the corner decided to stop the fight because they didn't want their fighter to continue taking punishment as he was clearly overmatched against um, a higher level of athlete in Ugas. So look out for the Cuban fighter Ugas in the coming fights, as I think he could be a future star in uh, the sport of boxing. Moving on, I'd like to cover the fight card on Showtime that took place on January 25th. And in the co-main event, we saw Jared Hurd take on Francisco Santanum and Hurd did earn a unanimous decision victory, but did not really impress me in this fight as his opponent Santana was the much smaller fighter and uh, Hurd, being that the skill level that he is, should have knocked him out and got him out of there before the end of the fight as he did win a 10 round unanimous decision. But with a performance like that, Hurd did not put himself back in the uh, in the ring to fight bigger fighters in the future. He kind of showed that he's a decent fighter, but maybe not ready for the elite level guys in the sport. And uh, Francisco Santana was a tricky, smaller opponent that was able to bob and weave and survive enough rounds uh, to not get knocked out. Uh, it wasn't uh, the greatest fight card, to be honest, because the main event uh, between Danny Garcia and Ivan Redcash 
uh, was perhaps even less exciting because uh, when Danny Garcia has, has an opponent in there that doesn't really want to engage or doesn't really want to challenge him or fight hard, Danny Garcia is fine to just coast back, pick his punches, get his licks in, and um, coast the rest of the round. And that's what happened in the main event, unfortunately, on Showtime, as Danny Garcia did get the unanimous decision win over Ivan Redcash, but surely did not gain any new fans from his performance, as he really should be knocking out opponents at the level of Redcash. And Danny Garcia is a fighter that wants the big fights. He wants Manny Pacquiao. He wants maybe a Terrence Crawford or an Errol Spence Jr. But if Danny Garcia really wants those fights, he's got to put on a more impressive performance than he did against Ivan Redcash. Uh, Garcia was impressive in coming forward and landing his punches straight on, as he does uh, very well. But it wasn't a very exciting high-action fight. And sometimes that's what you get with Danny Garcia. In the post-fight, we did see the news come out that Ivan Redcash did get his purse taken away and is suspended one year from the sport of boxing for biting Danny Garcia during the fight. Biting is a no-no, and he shouldn't have done it. And, uh, and he got punished accordingly for it. And Garcia seemed like a good sport about it, as he knew he was easily going to win a decision, which he did, and did not feel the need to go for the knockout, although maybe he needed the knockout to get the big fights that he wants to get. Moving on from that not-so-inspiring performance uh, with Danny Garcia, I'd like to move back into the MMA world and preview this upcoming uh, week's fight card. UFC 247 will take place February 8th from the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. In the co-main event, we have Valentina Shevchenko taking on Chikugian um, in what will be a fight for the women's flyweight title. Caitlin Chikugian is an American fighter standing at 5'9 and 125 pounds. Shevchenko is a fighter from Kyrgyzstan and is a great fighter in her own right, perhaps the greatest uh, MMA fighter that's a woman in the world not named Amanda Nunes. And uh, looking at Shevchenko's MMA record over the years, um, she has quite uh, the impressive record, but she only has three losses. Two of those are against Amanda Nunes, and one of them is against Liz Carmouche because of a doctor stoppage. So when you look at it, only really Nunes has beat her, perhaps the greatest women's MMA fighter we've ever seen. And uh, since uh, Shevchenko lost to Nunes by split decision in September of 2017, she has won on to beat uh, Priscilla Cachera by submission, rear naked choke, then beat the great fighter Joanna Juresic by unanimous decision, then a very impressive win against Jessica I, where she got a beautiful head kick knockout, and followed that up with a unanimous decision win against the very game Liz Carmouche, as she did 
Avenge, the only other loss in her career against Liz Carmouche in her past fight, which was this past August of 2019. Moving on, she's a big favorite going into her co-main event fight against Caitlin Chikugian. Shevchenko comes in at minus 1,200, while Chikugian is a plus 750 underdog. Chikugian does have the 4-inch height advantage and the 1.5-inch reach advantage. But Shevchenko is a very high-level striker that comes from a kickboxing background and is trained all over the world in the sport of MMA. She has trained in Thailand, in Brazil, uh, just to better her craft and become the fighter that she has become today, which is one of the most feared strikers and feared all-around all MMA fighters in the world, man or woman. Shevchenko is a very great champion. And I do not think she will lose to Chikugin. In fact, I think she finishes her off in either the second or third round with a stunning striking attack or maybe a submission as uh, Shevchenko really does have a great all-around game. Moving on to the main event, we have another great uh, champion in John Bones Jones taking on Dominic Reyes. John Jones comes in, comes in as a minus 450 favorite. Dominic Reyes checks in at a plus 325 underdog. They're both the same height at 6'4", and, uh, uh, and they'll both weigh in around the same weight at 205 pounds. John Jones has an 84.5-inch reach. Dominic Reyes only has a 77-inch reach. Now, the only um, category of MMA skills that Reyes might have an advantage over Jones in is in punching power because Dominic Reyes has shown an impressive ability to finish fights. In his past fight, he uh, emphatically knocked out Chris Weidman, which uh, earned him this title shot. Now, conversely, John Jones struggled in his last fight against Thiago Santos and was fortunate to come out with a split decision victory to retain his title. And he fought Santos basically on one leg because Santos admitted he tore his ACL and MCL uh, in perhaps the second round of their fight and still fought the rest of the fight, five round fight, admirably. And uh, it could be argued that Santos did in fact beat John Jones on that night. So a rematch between Jones and Santos would of course be very interesting. Now, I don't know if Jones necessarily wants to take that fight after the challenge that Santos put up. Uh, so Jones could very well move up to heavyweight following this fight against Dominic Reyes and perhaps challenge Stipe Miocic in his quest to become a two-weight uh, division UFC champion. But first things first, he's got to get past Dominic Reyes. Uh, John Jones has the advantage in stamina, in unorthodox striking techniques, in wrestling, in takedown defense and submissions, in overall pace of striking attacks. Like I said, maybe the one area that Dominic Reyes does have advantage over Jones in would be uh, punching power. So it should be a great fight, and I think if Dominic Reyes is going to get the upset win, he's going to have to do it early in either the first or second round. If this fight goes long, 
I see Jones winning the fight, and I like Jones to get a, a stoppage victory in this fight in perhaps either the fourth or fifth round and really cement himself as a great uh, light heavyweight and obviously the greatest light heavyweight that the UFC has ever seen. Moving back into boxing, uh, I'd like to start with uh, previewing the February 8th uh, sh uh, card on Dazan. And uh, in the main event, we have Cal Brook taking on Mark DeLuca. Uh, Cal Brook is the big favorite in this fight at minus 1,800. Mark DeLuca, big uh, underdog in this fight at uh, plus uh, 1,000. Cal Brook has had quite the interesting career, if you guys aren't familiar with him. He has had uh, his fair share of big fights. He fought Sean Porter and won a majority decision in August of 2014. Um, he has also had some signature losses. He lost to Gennady, Gennady Golovkin by fifth round TKO after Golovkin pretty much broke his face as Calbrook suffered uh, some significant orbital injuries following uh, the beating he took from uh, the great Gennady Golovkin. Then following that up, Kelbrook suffered a KO to the great Errol Spence Jr. in the 11th round. Since those two losses, which by the way, were the only two losses in Kelbrook's great career, he followed that up with a KO of Sergei Rabichenko and a unanimous decision victory over Michael Safara in December of uh, 2018. So, uh, Brook is making his return to the ring in the first time since 2018. So, uh, pretty, uh, pretty much like two, three years a layoff for Brook. Some thought he had retired, but he's coming back to fight Mark DeLuca on February 8th in Sheffield, England, and I expect Kelbrook to get that win and uh, maybe set up some more big fights in the future before he does ultimately retire. It'll be great to see Kelbrook back in the ring this weekend, so look out for that fight. Uh, it should be an interesting fight. I'm not really too familiar with Mark DeLuca, but I am familiar with Kelbrook, and I know that he always puts up a fight. He always tries to put on exciting fights, so I would definitely tune in, tune into that fight, which will be uh, streamed on Dazan from uh, Sheffield, England. Moving on, on February 8th, from Allentown, Pennsylvania, a Showtime card, a pretty strong fight card. In the co-main event, we have Guillermo Rigandau taking on Libiaro Solis, 12 rounds for the vacant WBA regular bantamweight title. Rigandau is one of the greatest all-time amateurs in the sport of boxing with over 500 amateur fights and some impressive professional victories. While Guillermo Rigandau is quite the old fighter, he does have a lot of ring savvy, a lot of tricks of the trade. Um, he just has a lot of boxing skill and a wealth of experience, a wealth of knowledge. And uh, that should be enough for him to get the victory over 
Libero Solis uh, in the co-main event on Showtime. And uh, looking at the odds for this fight, Guillermo Rigondeau comes in at minus 1,000 favorite, and Solis comes in at a plus 600 underdog. Uh, Rigondeau has suffered some defeats in the past, but he is uh, undoubtedly one of the most skilled uh, fighters in the sport of boxing with the ability to get in and out of range, has great defense, and uh, can sometimes put on boring fights because of how he overmatches his opponent and doesn't allow for a lot of action. Uh, Looking at his record, he only has uh, one career loss, and that is to the great Vasily Lomachenko uh, after the sixth round. Since that loss, he got a first-round knockout of Giovanni Delgado, and then an impressive eighth-round TKO victory over Julio Ceja, and that was in June of 2019. Uh, Rigondeau is quite advanced in age, as he is now <clears throat> 39 years old, so with only a few big fights left in his career, he's got to put on a statement against Solis, and I like him to get the knockout, as he is on a bit of a string of knockouts lately. So I liked him to beat Solis in either uh, the 8th or ninth round in the later rounds before uh, the end of the fight. So that is the co-main event of Showtime card, as mentioned earlier. And in the main event, we have Gary Russell Jr. versus Tug Stott Naimabar. Um, f- uh, forgive me, I'm having trouble pronouncing the opponent's name. And the fight is for Gary Russell's WBC featherweight title. For those of you not familiar with Gary Russell Jr., he has some of the fastest hands in all of boxing and really has a supreme skill level. A pleasure to watch whenever we do get the privilege to see him, as Gary Russell Jr. really only fights once a year. Um, Looking at his past fights... The last time he did fight twice in a year was back in 2014. Since then, he's fought once a year from 2015 until now. 2020, he will be making his first appearance February 8th when he takes on (coughs) Tuxacock Naimabar, a Mongolian professional boxer who has held the IBO featherweight title since 2019. Um... Now, I'm expecting Gary Russell Jr. to get the win here, but his opponent is no doubt um, a very tough guy and uh, is a great you know, boxer in his own right. And looking at his opponent's record, he is undefeated, and uh, this will only be his 12th professional fight when he steps up in competition to take on the fast hands, the fast twitch movement of Gary Russell Jr., who is just supremely gifted as a fighter and has uh, God-given ability. And with those fast hands, he has ability to end the fight at any moment because the accumulation of punches can often uh, induce a stoppage victory for him. And in 
uh, 30 wins. Russell Jr. has 18 by knockout and 12 by decision. With one loss by decision. And he lost a majority decision to the great Vasily Lomachenko back in 2014. Uh, Most fighters are prone to losses against Lomachenko as he is uh, just a gifted athlete and comes from a dancing background as uh, Lomachenko's father made uh, young Vasily take dancing lessons to improve his footwork inside the boxing ring. And it has worked absolute marvels for the great boxer uh, as he has developed into one of the most feared uh, boxing tacticians in the sport. Moving on from Lomachenko and back to Gary Russell Jr., he, um, in his last fight, he did get a TKO victory over Kiko Martinez in the fifth round, and that was in May of 2019. His opponent, affectionately known as King Tut, uh, recently got a TKO win over Oscar Escandon, then followed that up with a unanimous decision win over Claudio Marrero to set up uh, this fight against Gary Russell Jr. Now, while Minamar might not have the speed advantage or the punching ability, he may have the power advantage and the size advantage. Looking at the measurables for this fight, uh, Neymar comes in at 5'8 with a 66-inch reach, while Russell Jr. comes in at 5'4 with a 64-inch reach. While Russell Jr. is quite the diminutive fighter, he makes up for it with his hand speed and his ability to control distance and control the pace of the fight. For his opponent, uh, King Tug, he's gonna want King Tug. He's gonna want to get in there and bully around the smaller fighter and try to make him uncomfortable and fight on the inside. Because if uh, Tug stays on the outside, Russell Jr. is just gonna pick him apart with his speed advantage and most likely coast to a decision victory. So it's on his opponent to get in there, make it ugly, make it tough on Russell Jr., and bully him as the bigger fighter. But despite all that, I still like the great Russell Jr. to retain his title because I don't think there are many boxers in the world that could match his skill level. And um, it's great to see him in the ring because he only fights about once a year. So when he does fight, it is a treat to watch. So make sure to tune in to that fight, which will be on February 8th and will be shown on Showtime. Also on February 8th, um, from Daytona Beach, Florida, on Pain Boxing, shown on Facebook and YouTube, we have Evan Holyfield taking on Travis Nero, uh, four rounds, uh, junior middleweights. For those of you not familiar, Evan Holyfield is the son of the great Evander Holyfield. And uh, Evan Holyfield, in his own right, has gotten uh, off to quite quite the impressive start to his uh, career. Looking at his boxing record, he only needed 16 seconds to dispose of uh, Nick Winstead in a TKO. 
And then he followed that up with another TKO over Henry Mendez, which was uh, his professional debut. And he will now take on Travis Nero uh, uh, in a four-round, uh, another bout for uh, the young guy, who is now only 22. And uh, he's got some great genes from his great father, Evander Holyfield. And I think the future is bright for Evan Holyfield, who will likely get another knockout win uh, coming up on February 8th once again. It, it seems like he uh, got the power from his father, judging by uh, his early stoppage wins. And uh, I think he uh, could be a force to be reckoned with uh, as he moves up in competition and starts to fight guys at a higher level. We'll see him, how good uh, the, the young Holyfield really is. Uh, but like I said, he is returning to the ring February 8th, and it'll be shown on Facebook and YouTube if you guys do uh, want to check that out as well. That will conclude this week's episode of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. Thank you so much for listening, and check back next week when I preview upcoming fight cards February 14th from Anaheim, California, Ryan Garcia versus Francisco Fonseca, uh, and then in the co-main event, Jorge Linares versus Carlos Morales. That should be a fun fight card coming up February 14th. Check back next week for my uh, preview of that fight card. And also on February 15th, Caleb Plant versus Vincent Fenyabunz. And uh, I'll also preview that fight, which will be uh, a Fox card. So, once again, thank you so much for listening. Kobe forever, Mamba forever. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.